Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and the Trump presidency for the New Spectator USA website. I'm joined today by Barry Lynn, who is the director of the Open Markets Institute and the author of Cornered, The New Monopoly Capitalism and the Economics of Destruction. And we're going to be talking about Amazon and the news today that they will not be establishing a headquarters, a corporate headquarters in New York. Barry, what was your reaction when you when you heard this news? Well, I was pleasantly surprised by the news. I, I was surprised that it happened so soon. I was actually not that surprised that it happened. I thought it would take a little bit longer. So uh, I was actually expecting that this would probably not come to pass. And so you shared the reaction of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who saw it as a, a sort of triumph for community over over big business. Uh, yeah, and I think it's just it's the the people of the United States have gotten to the point where the idea of of subsidizing the business of the world's richest man uh, is something they're no longer willing to do. Yes, and it struck me as a, as a sort of non left winger. It struck me as a pretty disgusting example of of crony capitalism. I mean, essentially, Amazon have thrown a tantrum because uh, New York City were not willing to offered them about $3 billion in incentives to move their headquarters to New York. Is that, is that what, you, what you think happened? Yeah, I mean, it's actually bad form on the part of, of Amazon. I mean, I thought that what they would end up doing is saying, hey, you know what, we really don't need those $3 billion. Uh, we're just going to, like, you know, we'll come anyway. I mean, I think that would have been the wise decision on their part. You know, I think that it's uh, it's not just crony capitalism. I actually think what we're looking at here is incompetent capitalists. You know, I think these guys didn't know, you know, they've had everything kind of roll their way for so long. They had no idea what to do when they actually bumped up against, uh, you know, real organized opposition. And, uh, you know, this is it's it's in some ways it's a statement about sort of just how sort of. Uh, it's 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 both a statement about how easy it is to stand up to these people, uh, and it's a statement about Amazon itself, about the fact that they really just aren't as sophisticated, perhaps, as we think they are. Yes, I mean, for a long time, we, we, we've become accustomed to uh, local governments and even sort of state governments, to a certain extent, spending a lot of time obsessing about how they can attract big corporations, because, of course, big corporations bring huge investments. And they're, they're so desperate to do it that they're willing to slash tax rates, to offer all sorts of inducements. Do you think this could be a, a turning point, perhaps, uh, where governments, local governments and people realize that corporations are worth standing up to? Oh, yeah, I think this is absolutely a turning point. I think this is a turning point for politicians all across America. You know, if you if you're in Northern Virginia right now, if you're in Tennessee, you have to be afraid about a potential reaction by your citizenry saying, hey, why are we subsidizing the world's richest man if New York is not going to be subsidizing the world's richest man? And, you know, I think that this is, uh, you know, uh, uh, governors all across America, mayors all across America, they have to look at what uh, the, the, you know, how this is going to affect them. I mean, this was not a good day for Governor Cuomo of New York. This was not a good day for uh, Mayor de Blasio in New York. I mean, remember back in November, Governor Cuomo said he would rename himself Amazon to Cuomo. Yeah. 
if, 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 if Amazon would come to, to New York. So it's like Amazon Cuomo, he's got that name, but he does not have their business. So, so you know, I think that all the other governors of the United States and all the other mayors of the United States should wonder, is like, are they going to get left hanging when they go out and pander to the big corporations? Uh, you know, it's like not all of them are going to. There's going to be plenty of communities that are actually pretty desperate and they'll do whatever necessary to bring in whatever investment they can get. But uh, in general, in general, this is absolutely a turning point. And if it's a turning point, I mean, does it mean that in other ways people will start standing up to other giants, in particular the tech giants? I mean, it feels to me as though there, there is a sort of growing resistance to the big tech companies. And actually, perhaps this would be a good moment where you could tell us a little bit about your story and what happened to you recently at the New American Foundation. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, absolutely, I mean, the, just to answer your question briefly, is like, this is a great time to stand up to the tech giants. And you know, my organization's uh, uh, Open Markets, we've been doing that for a long time. And uh, we used to be, just to answer your second question, or, you know, we used to be a program at a big think tank in Washington called the New America Foundation. You know, and I had actually been at the, the, the New America Foundation for about 15 years. I wrote a couple of books there. I wrote Into the Line and I wrote Cornered. And then I ran, ran this program, Open Markets, for about seven years until the summer of 2017. And uh, when we put out a statement supporting a decision by the European Union, by Margaret Vestager, the head of competition authority in, in, in Brussels, uh, commending them for uh, fining Google uh, for breaking the law, uh, for breaking antitrust law in, in Europe. And what happened in that case is within about two hours of us putting out that statement, uh, the head of my organization, Anne-Marie Slaughter, called me up and said, we got a problem here because Google is very upset about what you just put out. And at that point, Google was a big supporter of work at New America. Yeah. And you made, uh, made the big mistake yeah. of standing up for the law. Yeah. So two, uh, about uh, two days later, uh, Anne-Marie uh, had made her decision. And her decision was that my entire program, there were five of us at the time, and we were in the process of hiring two people. So seven people, uh, we had two months to get out of New America. There, we were fired. We were kicked out, and we were given two months to to find another place. And because, uh, because you were endangering donations from Google, is that is it as simple as that? That's as, it's as simple as that. And it, you know, it's like, and it wasn't as if New America was taking most of its money from Google. It wasn't even as if New America was taking, you know. 20% of its money from Google. It was it was getting, you know, more than a million bucks a year, but New America at that time was a $35 million a year operation. So uh, so they were basically prostituting the organization to uh, Google for, you know, a relatively small amount of, 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 of money. Uh, you know, I think this was a big deal for, uh, you know, I just want to give... Uh, uh, the folks at New America, many of whom are still my friends, I want to give them credit because uh, it was a bad day for New America. And the folks at New America who stayed behind uh, have done a really good job of trying to change their practices and make sure that something like this never happened again. It was a very big learning experience for the folks at New America. Uh, but for us, we were kicked out. Uh, for us, you know, it was a great way to get launched into the world. We ended up with a front page story in the New York Times about this. But what it did is it showed, and in this case, it showed that 
you know, a group of five people, a group of seven people could stand up to one of the very largest corporations in the whole world and actually win the argument. Because on that case, on that day, we won the argument. Uh, Google went after us and we said, hey, you know what? We're just going to keep saying the same damn thing. And, so, so, and we said, yeah. Sorry. So, so both, both your story and the Amazon story you point towards the, the great, the, what I think you spent a lot of your time working on, which is the battle against monopoly. And the, the, your story and Amazon story, the latest Amazon story, are, are small, perhaps, victories in the battle against monopoly. Is that right? Oh, yes, that is. Uh, these are small victories, but they're significant victories. I mean, it's, you know, until we came along, uh, say, in the summer of 2017 uh, and, and, and fought our fight with Google, a lot of folks knew that there was something really dangerous with Google, but they were afraid to say anything. So, uh, you know, having a front page story in the New York Times, this was a big story in the United States, it was a big story in Europe, it was a big story in China, in the chat rooms of China. And uh, what it taught people is that uh, Google is a, a bunch of bad actors, or there's a lot of bad actors in Google. Not everyone's a bad actor, but there are bad actors in Google and they misuse their power. But B, uh, they're not all powerful and you can stand up to them and you can survive. And not only survive, but thrive. You know, and this happened with us with Facebook. You know, we run an org, uh, we, we're the coordinator of a campaign called Freedom from Facebook, which brings together a bunch of public interest groups, including Public Citizen and Demand Progress and some of us. And we were targeted also by Facebook because of our work on Facebook by this group that called the Definers. They hired this group to smear us. It's the same group they hired to smear uh, George Soros. How, how did they how did they smear? I mean, how did that manifest itself? Oh, they uh, they basically called us simultaneously. They smeared us by implying to certain folks that we were anti-Semitic, and then we, they uh, uh, applied to other folks that we were tools of George Soros, basically <laughs> sort of playing off of you know anti-Semitic uh, prejudices. I mean, there was just a, it was just a smear campaign in which they were actually using Facebook and Facebook is designed to some extent just to, you know, play off of, uh, you know, fears of anti-Semitism or anti uh, fears of Semites. Well, but again, it's like, you know, it's like uh, they came after us. The New York Times wrote about that uh, event. That was again on the, New, uh, the front page of the New, York, the New York Times. And who walked away hurt? It wasn't us that walked away hurt. It was Facebook that walked away hurt. Yeah. So, so again, it's like there's here's proof. We went against Google, we heard them, and we walked away fine. We went against Facebook, we heard them, and we walked away fine. And we went against Amazon. They're now hurt, <laughs> and we walked you can away take fine for that too. Well, um, you know, we we were actually it's like going back, you know, in terms of like the first group that went after Amazon and said Amazon is a dangerous monopoly. Amazon is a monopoly that is destroying the marketplace in the United States. They're destroying the, the marketplace for books. You know, later they're destroying the marketplace for, you know, uh, basically commercial exchange of all kinds of basic goods. Uh, we started doing that back in 2010, 2010. It's been, we've been nine years we've been leading the, the fight against, against Amazon. And now we've got a whole bunch of friends out there working with us. So yeah, we'll take some. Of the, we'll take a lot of the credit for uh, putting a hurt on on Amazon. We've been doing it. We've been doing it for a while. And uh, and again, it's like these guys. 
it's surprising. It's really surprising. They look all powerful, but once you poke them, they're just not that. They're not that fast, and they maybe are not that smart. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's refreshing to think of uh, tech tech wizards and uh, tech geniuses as not that smart. Can we talk a little bit about you know sort of the anti-monopoly movement more broadly? As far as I understand it from your uh, from your thesis of your book. It's that something started going badly wrong with American capitalism, and, and you put that down to Ronald Reagan. Is that right? Or the Reagan administration? Uh, no, it's not just Reagan. It, you know, so I want to make very clear that what went wrong with American anti-monopolism was the fault of folks in both parties. Yeah. And it was the fault of you know, people on the left and the right working sure. together. You know, it, the, so where does the rot really start? For you. Well, the, the timing of it, I mean, in terms of like a, uh, the, the event that we could sort of finger as the beginning of this, this the, you know, when things went wrong in the United States, it was in uh, sort of in the early days of the Reagan administration. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, one of the things that, you know, during the period when Reagan and Thatcher, Margaret Thatcher were working together and promoting a lot of smart ideas, promoting ideas like, hey, some of these state owned enterprises, we can probably uh, end up getting more out of them if we turn them over to private control. Mm. You know, if we uh, sort of factor in a profit motive into the, the, the management of certain activities. You know, so what they were, in many cases, what they were promoting were smart ideas. But what they also did, and I'm not sure that Ronald Reagan understood this or Margaret Thatcher understood it, but some of the people who were coming, working for them, they said, you know, Let's change anti-monopoly law. Let's change the way, the philosophy that we use to understand competition policy. Mm. And, you know, for, for 200 years, you know, actually in the United States, I mean, anti-monopoly law really is born at the time of the American Revolution because, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, we're, we're, this is a, uh, an audience I think will understand this. Remember, this is, you know, the rebellion in, in the United States, was started off as a rebellion to some, a very large extent against the British East India Company. Yes. So it's like we were fighting against monopoly from 1773, three years before the Declaration of, of Independence. So it's like America was born out of a fight against monopoly. And the purpose of our fight against monopoly was to protect our liberties, our liberties to interact with one another in open markets without intermediaries in the middle. Yes. And so, we, imagine, so when you think of monopoly, a good American should always imagine uh, a kind of arrogant Brit trying to lord it over them. An arrogant Brit using a, a middleman corporation. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, that, that, I mean, that's what the British uh, trading system was. It's how, yes. you know, to a large extent, you know, it's like the, the London was in the middle of everything. And you'd buy stuff cheap and sell it dear. You know, it was a pretty damn good place to be, right? So um, the first purpose of anti-monopoly was liberty from middlemen, liberty to do buy and sell what we want to buy and sell with ourselves alone directly. And then, you know, we, then we also, it's like the other, the second purpose of anti-monopoly was to pre preserve our dem democratic institutions against great concentrations of wealth and power and control, you know, and, and we did that. We did that for 200 years. That's mm -hmm. what kept America free. That's what kept Americans free for 200 years. And then in the late 70s and early 80s, these folks, we, we now call them, 
you know, sometimes people will, will call them neoliberals, which is, it's an inexact, unfortunate term, but that's, you know, sometimes they're called neoliberals, sometimes they're called Chicago schoolers. Uh, but what they really were was radical libertarians who opposed the use of the state for any purposes whatsoever. And in the case of anti-monopoly, they said, hey, you know what? In order to get the state out of the business of private actors, let's just get rid of anti-monopoly law entirely. Mm-hmm. And the way they did that is they changed the philosophy, the philosophy of anti-monopoly law. Like, rather than promoting liberty, rather than using it to preserve democracy, protect democracy, we're going to use anti-monopoly law, they said. We're going to use it to promote the welfare of consumers. And the way that you are, or we're going to promote the welfare of consumers is we're going to change anti-monopoly law to promote efficiency. Because if we let corporate chieftains make really big institutions, those institutions will be more efficient. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we'll be able to drive down the price of the goods that consumers get. So what they did is they took a system that was designed to promote liberty and democracy through the distribution of power and the neutralization of power and something that had worked for 200 years. And they said, hey, hey, let's just turn it all into something that promotes efficiency, hence monopolizations. And they flipped it on its head. And we've been running our country in the exact opposite direction for the last 35 years. But there are, I mean, there are, I I realize we're running out of time, but there are benefits to giving consumers advantages and and, and more power, empowering consumers. I mean, I realize that a society can't be built around consumers, but there are benefits to it, and there are benefits to enabling businesses to thrive. Well, there's, there's a couple different ways that you can attempt to benefit the consumer. One of the ways is that you say, hey, you know, in the name of the consumer, we're going to build the biggest corporation in the whole world. Call it Walmart, for instance. And we're, and we're going to stick the, this corporation, Walmart, in between the buyers and sellers of things and, and tell the people who run this corporation, you guys manage the world political economy to benefit the consumer. And we can see how that might work, you know, play out over time. Or there's another thing, a way we can sort of ben- try and uh, benefit the consumer. And we say, you know what we're going to do is we're going to build open and competitive markets in which the consumer is empowered. Whenever they go to the marketplace, they have multiple choices, multiple real choices, not fake choices, real choices. Yeah, that's that another be- interesting yeah. thing I yeah. talk about is the, the sort of the illusion of choice in the in the modern marketplace. Yeah. I mean, people go to this like, you know, nowadays you go to the marketplace and it's like you go to the market, you go to Walmart and you see like, uh, you know, there's about 87 different types of toothpaste that are there. But you know what? Every single one of those tubes of toothpaste is put out by one or two corporations. Mm. And those two corporations are actually allowed under U.S. law and at present to engage in direct cartelization to like set the price working with one another and actually to, to, to work with each other to determine like what, whose product goes where on the shelving in the Walmart. It's called category management. That's the process that they engage in. So it's like when you go there and you're standing there in the Walmart and you're looking at all those different types of toothpaste, it's, it's, not, it's an illusion of choice. You're being manipulated by these corporations. 
that's the result of what Bork, the, the, the Chicago schoolers, that's the result of the, the overthrow of the anti-monopoly regime that took place in the early 80s. And so it's like, clearly, clearly that doesn't actually work for consumers. But it also doesn't work for us, for our democracy, and it doesn't work for our economy more widely. And then with the, with the advent of the internet, the problems with monopoly law that had already developed were metastasized, right? They, they became much more dramatic. Is that, is that what you... Vastly more dramatic. I mean, one way to understand what has happened uh, in our society since the overturn of our anti-monopoly laws 35 years ago is there was a two-stage process of consolidation. The first stage, you know, kind of went from the early 80s until, you know, about 2005, 2006. It's kind of the age of Walmart or so. And what we saw is this massive concentration up to the, uh, uh, that took what was a, a democratic society and turned it into an oligarchic society in which a few hundred families kind of, ran, you know, ran most of the uh, political economy. You know, one family was in charge of retailing in, in rural areas. One family was in charge of selling all uh, uh, paper in the country. One family was in charge of, you know, running trains in, in this part of the country or that. You know, so we kind of chopped up the political economy into these realms, these domains, and we turned it over to these newly created lords, the new oligarchy in America. Uh, and that was, and then stage two happened, and that's what we've seen in the last three or you know the last ten or twelve years, really since the crash of two thousand eight. Uh, that's the point at which you kind of start to see the internet corporations really start to rise up and over the rest of the political economy. And now we're seeing a second level of concentration in which Google, Facebook, and Amazon are overawing many of the corporations of stage one, many of the oligarchs of stage one. So we're moving now from oligarchy to a system that looks a lot more like autocracy. But I suppose a bit of good news today, in a way, would show that the, the erosion of democratic institutions hasn't really happened. I mean, for all the oligarchy you talk of, I mean, today they lost. Well, it's not. The, it's, it's, uh, there's a set difference between institutions and people. So it's like the fact that Governor Amazon Cuomo and Mayor Bill de Blasio yeah. were out there flacking for the richest man in the world, <laughs> gathering up all the little pennies of all the janitors and nurses' assistants and all the little people who work behind the counter at, at, at coffee shops all across New York, they're taking all those pennies from all those people and gathering up into a pile that was $3 billion big and taking the money from all those people and giving it to the world's richest man. That actually indicates that the democratic institutions in the United States are pretty far along towards complete degradation. But yeah. the people, what we saw is the people themselves out in the streets said, you know what, we're going to have our democracy back. You, Governor Amazon Cuomo, you're going to probably have to go. You, Mayor Bill de Blasio, you're going to have to go. And you, Mr. Bezos, you ain't getting our money today. And we're <laughs> coming. We're coming for your power tomorrow. It's been a dramatic month or so for Mr. Bezos. I'd love to carry on this conversation another time, Barry, and um, speak soon. 
Thank you very much for listening. Just a reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and you can also subscribe to the magazine through our special podcast offer, which is on www.spectators.co.uk forward slash pod offer. And we'll even throw in a spectator moleskin notebook for people who take up that offer. Thank you.